Welcome to this week's edition of Coach Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 46 of Coach Prep. We're going to talk about practice ideas, fun practices, especially for when we're coaching younger players, um, ways to mix in some fun stuff that keep practice fresh. First off, we have to talk about Cleat It Up FP. Cleat It Up is our communication tool that we want you to use. It's an app for your phone. It's going to solve all your communication challenges within your team, within your organization. Also has a nice social media aspect to it where you can share, post, and throw all the highlights out there for people to follow. Also want to talk about our other sponsor, which is Nexair. Nexair is a Memphis-based industrial gas, medical gas, research gas, welding supply, and safety PPE supplier. With strategically placed retail locations, sales branches, and distribution centers throughout the southeast, Nexair is never too far away. They maintain centralized product warehouses to serve you better and be more reliable. Through our services, you can receive the products you need when you need them. Our fleet of trucks will get you the gas you need when you need it. If you're interested in any Nexair product or service or just want to talk through your options, please get in touch. Our customer care team at 888-639-2474 will help you find the branch or outside sales rep in your area. Please reach out to Nexair. They'll take care of all your needs. So Don, one of the things we find ourselves, I think, quite often is because of our background and because of our experience, we spend an awful lot of time talking about technical stuff, things that's maybe a little bit more... uh, Older kid-oriented. Geared towards maybe older, uh, more experienced players. So I thought today we would just talk about practices and your ideas things that we can do to make practice more fun, more enjoyable. I think especially when we're coaching younger players, you know, I think that it's uh, sort of a, a curve where as players get older, the level of expectation for them to be able to be more focused and more about their business and more serious about things kind of goes up Just increasingly. Yeah, as, yeah. Uh, if you're coaching eight, eight-year-old kids, you don't expect them to have that uh, laser focus just yet. When you're coaching 14-year-olds, you expect them to be a whole lot more focused than the 18 or the 8-year-olds, but they're certainly not what you're expecting from your 18-year-olds or your college kids. When you get to the college level, you're expecting those kids to be able to come to practice and pretty much focus just on the work and just at the task at hand. A couple of things that uh, I wanted to throw out there just to begin with, thinking about this topic, it made me think about even with college-level players. Nothing made practice uh, take on a, a more positive tone. Nothing made practice uh, more productive then occasionally mixing in some fun stuff or some competitive stuff or some cute stuff, uh, even with those really experienced players. Just to break it up a little, right? Right. The idea of doing those kinds of things, uh, no matter what level you're coaching at, I think is a good idea and something for us to think about. Obviously, if you're coaching younger players, you know, I think we have to kind of come up with an idea of what we think is a, is a reasonable ratio. I think we need to start off with making sure that our practices are short enough that uh, we don't expect the impossible, that we're not asking those really young players to uh, be focused for three or four hours at a time. And then also that we kind of come up with a ratio. So for every you know five minutes of hard work and focus, that we have something else to kind of break that up to give them a chance to do something fun, do something competitive, uh, do something that maybe doesn't have to have quite that same focus as uh, as that first five-minute block might have. No, I think that's uh, wonderful, Tori, because they do need the reps. So exactly what you're saying, you got to have that focus time when they are uh, receiving the opportunity for reps. But after that, things that, uh, that they can compete in would be wonderful. A lot of times, I think uh, numbers, they all, they all like numbers, whether it's uh, timing them from pop to pop, you know, home to first, whether it's home to home, 
you know, those types types of things they can try and increase and, and do better at from uh, month to month or whatever it might be. But any type of little bunting game that we can see if you get four out of five in a certain area towards first base or for throwing, you know, we didn't drop any today. Right. You know, that kind of thing really, uh, you know, really resonates, I think, with the, with the younger kids. Line drive drill, when we're trying to hit a ball to knock a ball off a tee that's placed five, six, seven feet out in front of the original, the tee that we're hitting from, they love to be able to say, hey, in one bucket, I got 12 today. Right. And then try and increase on that. I just think that they look forward to those types of things. And um, how great would it be for each of those kids? You know, in college, we got them almost every day, or at least as much as we, we needed. But um, for the travel groups, how great would it be for uh, for these young players to go, you know, be leaving practice and, and saying, I can't wait to go back again, right. uh, you know, to, to the next practice because I really want to exceed today's uh, records or whatever it right. was. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, um, you, you touched on a bunch of really good ideas. So number one is obviously young players need to learn how to throw and catch. And we need to work on those most fundamental of skills. But so maybe we spend a little bit of time teaching throwing, spend a little bit of time practicing throwing, and then maybe... Uh, we finish up our throwing today with trying to knock a, a ball off a tee or a tin can off a tee or tire, right? Throw it through the tire or whatever, what, yep. whatever that you know different challenge might be. Maybe we do something different each practice so that we wrap up with trying to be really accurate in our throwing. You know, maybe there's a popsicle for the winner. Maybe there's a some sort of reward, some sort of a payoff. Kids always like competitive things. So something that simple, you know, your idea of hitting, you know, maybe it is something is, you know, we spend some time talking about hitting, we do some drills and we set them up to get their repetitions in. And then we finish up with a, like you said, a line drive drill or a snow cone drill or, or anything that's got that little zip and pip to it that even though they're still taking real swings and even though they're still really hitting, you know, it's got some fun to it. You can do like a home run derby kind of thing. Now, obviously your eight-year-olds probably aren't hitting the ball over the fence, but Maybe we set it up out on a big field and the winner is whoever hits the ball that rolls the furthest. Sure. You know, in a lot of these things, there, there's stuff that we can build in that helps reinforce what we're after from a coaching perspective, but it's still fun for the kids. If we're out on a 300-foot field and the winner of the eight and under home run derby is whoever gets the ball to roll the furthest is going to be the kid who figures out, well, how should I hit the ball to get it to go the furthest? Right. If I pop it straight up in the air, it's going to go straight up, it's going to bounce, and it's going to die. If I you know, drive it into the ground right in front of the tee, it's going to bounce four or five times, and then it's going to die. But if I hit a line drive, wow, that ball's going to go further. Love and it. then so you can make it competing amongst the kids on the team. Then you can also make it them competing against themselves. So like you said, if your littlest player hits a line drive and it rolls, by the time it stops rolling, it's 120 feet from home plate. Well, we step that off, so that's you know forty paces, fifty paces, whatever it is. And next time we come out, maybe she puts a little cone or a, a softball or a, you know whatever it is, her marker, and puts that out there at that same spot and says, "Okay, today my job is after we do the drills to hit it further than that." Yep, I got to beat it, and I got to beat it, and then you know continue to build on those kinds of things. So I think all those different kinds of things can be fun if we put kids in a relay race. Say they're going you know home to home in a relay race. You have the one where you have the kids line up at second base, they line up at home plate, and then they're each running all the way around the bases. If they 
want to win, they're going to figure out that if they run the bases well, they're going to do it faster than if they run straight to the base and turn left and then run straight to the base and turn left. You know, we can teach them how to do it. We can show them what will be better and then give them chances to experiment with it and to see what really works better. So I think there's a lot of those kinds of things that we can build into practice that would really help increase the enthusiasm level, increase the fun factor, and help those kids really get something out of practice where they otherwise might not. I like what you said earlier about uh, having a goal that if it's achieved, maybe we all get something. Right. You know, everybody gets a popsicle. Everybody, if we get somebody that can hit the hula hoop with our target, right. you know, throwing from the backstop to the pitcher's mound or whatever it might be. But everybody, uh, everybody gains when we succeed together. Right. Or the relay race, I like that because then we're, when we're not actually running, we're pulling for our teammates and um, cheering everybody on and that type of thing, I right. think, is really a good message. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think that uh, you know, whether it's the whole team gets rewarded or yep. certain, you know, I think you can do it both ways. Individually. You probably sh- and, and I think you probably should team. do both. Because yeah. yeah. if, you know, on, on most teams, if we reward the individual winner, the same two or three kids probably win most of the time. A lot, right. Now, if we can let those same two or three kids help the whole team win. Yes, then that sends a pretty powerful message. And then even your weakest player really loves the competitive stuff. And then there's the day when that one comes through. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and if we mix in enough different things, you can always find something that even your weakest player is pretty good at. So let's figure out whatever it is today. You know, maybe your weakest player can't hit the ball past the pitcher's mound if she hits it three times, but she's a pretty good bunter. Let's do a bunting contest today and those kinds of things. So let's, uh, Think about ways to add some competitive stuff and some fun stuff in. Another idea is kids versus coaches. Nice, yes. Now, the good news about that, coaches, is you can control the outcome. Now, the problem I always had, and this is true for me with my son, I could never let him win at anything. <laughs> when he was little and we were playing checkers, I wanted to win every game. If When we got a little bit older and we started playing chess, I wanted to win every game. But if you never win, it's never, you don't want to play anymore. Well, and, and yeah. it took me a while to figure out that, you know, even though it was a bitter pill for me to swallow, I had to let him <laughs> win once in a while or else I never had anybody to play against. Right. So we can set up some different things and make it that team against the coaches kind of thing. We used to do a lot of stuff when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech where the team would compete with the coaches in different kinds of strength stuff. And of course, we always had the wild card that the strength coach or coaches were on the coach's team. Nice. So even though I was pretty weak, we had a couple of brawny guys that could give us a chance. But we would do tire flips, and the kids would have a tire like off a tractor, and we would have like for some big giant earth mover. So our tire <laughs> was 600 pounds, and their tire was 300 pounds. Sure. And you know we'd have to you know see who could you know get past the line, line, to line. fastest. Yeah. And the kids would just get so fired up you know competing against us that it made them work that much harder. They would excel. Yeah. And 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 it was a team building kind of thing because they would have to figure out a strategy. Like the rule was that you know the same three people couldn't just do the all the work. They had to all contribute. In the tire flip, they they'd have to figure out how to rotate everybody in, how to make sure that everybody got a hand on the tire before they got to the finish line. Because if everybody didn't contribute, then they got disqualified against us three guys trying to flip this big mammoth thing over. I love it. And, you know, at first we would win quite often because we didn't need any strategy. It was just, you know, suck it up and go. But they had to think about, you know, how to make sure that they did this right. Who goes first. And and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, but that was, again, being another fun thing that was a challenge was, you know, allowed us to get what we wanted to out of the drill, out of the work that we were doing. 
but still make it fun and enjoyable. And I think that there's a lot of things that we can do that. You know, if we tell kids that they've got to run bases and we just put them in a line and they go, you know, they sprint down the line to first, they'll go really hard the first time. And then after that, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse until they're barely running. If we tell them to, to stretch out a double and we teach them how to you know, cut the corner and how to, to be really efficient, you know, running the corner. The first time it looks great. The second time it's worse. The third time it's bad. The Getting fourth sloppy. time it's, it's, it's impossible to watch. So if we know that that's just kind of human nature, if we make it competitive, if we make it something where there's a, a stake in it for them, you know, then their focus is going to improve. If we tell them that they've got to run, they're going to hate it because they hate running. If we tell them it's a race, They'll run faster, and they love it because it's a race. Yeah, and I, I like the numbers things. I like stopwatches and stuff for that. And um, as a coach, as you're doing these sprints to first and hitting a double, hitting a triple, hitting a home run, that type of thing, you can get a gauge for what each kid is really capable of. And you know, once you feel like you've gotten everything you can out of you know that particular drill, and everybody is getting tired, you can say, "Hey, Susie, you know, if you make it home to home." under 13.5 seconds and you know she's capable of it you know then everybody can kind of rally around Susie you know have her go home to home when she beats that time everybody's done right you know that kind of thing yeah and, yeah. and, and from a coaching perspective I think you have to kind of be aware of the challenges that you're throwing at because what might seem like fun if the same kids are always losing right. isn't very much fun for them the competitive nature of it is a good thing but I think sometimes we have to also make sure that the competitive nature of it doesn't defeat what we're after by trying to make practice more enjoyable. Perfect example, we do this thing at the start of our practices where you know, we call them get-ups, where basically you know, the kids start off laying on their stomach and they've got to try to get up and sprint as fast as they can, you know, trying to get them you know, to be quicker and more explosive. And then we do a version of it where they do it with a partner. One person starts face down and has to get up as fast as they can. The person behind them starts a certain distance behind and has to catch them before they get to the finish line. You know, it might be a 10-foot head start. It might be a 15-foot head start. Um, we have one combination with our kids. Now we have one girl, and Janie is a, as fast a kid as I've ever seen. We can't set her standard the same <laughs> as anybody else's because it's too easy for her. She catches everybody. Sure. So now all of a sudden, you know, we'll set it up, and whoever she's running with that day, because we know who she compares to, okay, well, you move ahead a little bit. Well, Janie, back up a little bit. Janie, take a step back take a step back. And so then it becomes a more fair competition because we're kind of setting the, you know, her. Uh, yeah, we're putting a, a governor on it. We're putting a restriction on it to make it more competitive and to make it really more challenging. And so what ends up happening then is the person who's getting chased is more excited because she thinks she's really got a chance to win. And Janie's more excited because she knows she's got to really go hard if she's going to make up for this head start. And so I think there's a lot of those kinds of things that we have to be paying attention to as coaches as we set these kinds of things up. If somebody's getting trounced, they're not going to have very much fun in the competition. Well, I'm going to throw one more thing out there, Tori, for, uh, for fun day and something that I think that is a real deficit for our younger players is sliding. Yep. Okay. So one of those things that everybody's scared to do, you can slide and you can hurt, you can slide and get your knees tore up or banged or bruised or all these other things, but there's an art to it and there's a lot of uh, coordination that, that needs to happen with it. But um, there's products like a slide right mat, which you don't necessarily have to have. But if we uh, are able to get a, a large piece of cardboard and put it out on the grass, it's simple to, to work on sliding and it's very comfortable and it's easy for the kids to, uh, to experiment and, and yeah. try and do things. And I think that that's one of those things that would really, really be worth the time and effort to 
know, it could be a refrigerator box, you know, make sure all the staples are out of it, yeah. obviously, and make it a, a, a clean, thick piece of cardboard. But it's so forgiving and easy to learn how to slide on those out in the grass that I think that would be one of those fun, eventually, that would be one of those fun things. And right. how, how joyful for a little group of uh, softball players to be able to slide well and not get hurt. And, and But we got to put the time in doing that right. too. Well, and, and if you want to really take it to the next level, of course, then there's the old slip and slide. Slip and slide, yeah. yeah. And so if, yeah. if you know that might be uh, the, the, the ultimate the payoff, last yeah. thing at practice kind of thing. You can uh, do the homemade slip and slide with a tarp and some uh, dish soap and a hose. And a know? hose, yeah. So, um, a couple of kids on Facebook that I see videos all the time, they've got this little workout space set up in their backyard, and one day they were working on sliding, and they had you know the homemade slide right. They had a gym mat kind of thing. And they were, you know, throwing the water and the soap down on it. And they were working on all their head first slides and slide bys and all that stuff. And it made me smile just looking at a, a video of it on YouTube, thinking back to doing that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of other kinds of things that we can do. You know, when we talked about throwing and catching at the very beginning, if we want to really, you know, make a catching drill, it would be fun. Let kids work on catching a water balloon one-handed. Sure. So like they're using their glove, but don't let them catch a water balloon in their glove. We don't want their glove to get soaked. Nah. Um, but they can use their bare hand. You know, somebody tosses them that, and you know, they're trying to catch it like they would catch a ball that's being tossed. Well, about 80% of them are going to break, so of course they all get splashed. And that's got them giggling and laughing. But, and, and I guess, coaches, the, the moral to the story is you're only limited by your imagination. We want to make sure that we're always keeping a balance. That doesn't mean that if you're coaching a high-level, super competitive, 18 and under national championship level travel ball team, that every practice has to finish have with to grins goofy. and giggles yeah. and, and goofy yeah. stuff. My experience is that if we can mix some of that in, keep that element of surprise, make sure that we're throwing some fun stuff in and some competitive stuff in on a fairly regular basis, that practice is going to be something that kids look forward to. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that we talk about a lot, when, especially when I do the uh, practice organization uh, discussion and we talk about you know, helping people figure out how to plan practices better, that if we are always thinking of ways to make it something that kids look forward to. Because my, my experience is probably at least half of the kids that play softball dread going to practice. They know it's going to be something. And, and it might even be a lot higher than 50%. Uh, so that tells us just in that admission that we know that we need to do some things a little bit differently and make sure that we're you know, keeping some spice in it and some fun in it. Yeah. And it's an easy trap to fall into. I've fallen into it too, where it's like you just think there's so much to do, we, we don't have time. Do. Yeah. There's so much to do, I don't have time. And then all of a sudden, you didn't get very much work done and we didn't do anything to make them want to come back to practice the next day. No, I think this is a great topic, Tori. And uh, again, everybody's going to be a little different in what they're able to do and, and what's available for them. But if we're making a, a mindful effort to have in mind that, we want for them to be excited for the next time we get to come out to practice instead right. of have to come out to practice. That's a good one right there. If we, if we get to, I think that's wonderful. Perfect. Yeah. So that's going to wrap up episode number 46 of Coach Prep. As always, please check out cleatedup.com for Cleated Up FP. That's the communication tool you need to use. Please check out Nexair. And also, please check out our Patreon page. We've mentioned this several times now. Coach Don and I have reached a crossroads with everything fast pitch and coach prep. We want to keep doing new cool things. And to make that happen, we need your support. Uh, there's three different levels of support. If you go to patreon.com, there's three different levels. You can donate $5, $10, or $20 a month. And each one of those has a different level of uh, appreciation that we're going to show to you. Spell that one again. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash everything fast pitch. Please check out all our sponsors. Check out our Patreon page. 
If you have ideas, suggestions, or comments, please reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. And uh, we will look forward to talking to you again next week. So that for Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tory. Thanks for listening. Yeah.